Welcome everyone to the fifth episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Uh, I'm Dan Cozell here with Nick Tartaglia. How's it going, Nick? Not bad yourself. Crazy week, man. Crazy, crazy week. I have to say, um, oil touching negative yeah. prices. And I don't think that's something that's ever happened, right? So this is- It was the first time. This is the first time in modern economic or the history of the world where we saw oil dip to minus $38 a barrel. Um, did you, uh, did you see the, um, you know, the whole, you know, that whole meme conspiracy there that how, uh, Simpsons is always predicts the future. Mm-hmm. They got it with Donald Trump and they seems to always get it with significant events in the world. There's a whole meme going around now on, uh, on social media about how uh, you see uh, Homer at the gas station trying to pump gas and it goes to zero. I, I, I saw that too. And I, I had to reshare that on Instagram because it's like, they have a way of just being able to know what's going to happen. So it's almost like yeah. it's, you, you, you need to run through a whole list of those conspiracy theories that they have there just to see what the next event is going to be like. But this one, this one's pretty significant, right? Like, yeah, um, it could, that- it could, it could speed things up that we previously thought wouldn't be occurring right away. Yeah. And especially considering, you know, energy as a, as a whole, I think the energy sector right now is still down about like 42% on the year. If you look at the XLE there in the U S they track all the you know, oil, energy, gas stocks. Um, but just to give people an idea of what this means, what, like, what minus $37 a barrel like it's crazy they they would literally pay you to get rid of it to del- will, at delivery yeah exactly to to take the delivery of the oil if you had that futures contracts they would pay you $37 or in this case because futures contracts for oil are times 10,000 you they would pay you $37,000 just to get rid of it so imagine the shockwave that is going to be felt in the oil company and the level of bankruptcies that are going to happen and how big of an economic shock this is going to be. Now we talked about this earlier where it was like, Hey, like this is the death of oil, right? Yeah. So if we, if we like, so if we were to say it's the death of oil, you cannot say that even if you want to be as green as possible and you want to be as realistic as possible, oil cannot vanish right now. It may vanish in a century from now when you have every industry transitioning out of, of their operations that are dependent on oil. For example, airlines and logistics, it's heavily dependent on the oil industry. Why? Because it's not shifted yet into the EV sector. So oil is not vanishing. And right now, a lot of oil industries are connected to old money, a lot of the baby boomer wealth. Yeah. So that's why you see the government getting involved. They're not, they're not just saving it for the sake of their GDP or this and that. They're also saving a lot of pensions and a lot of funds. Baby boomers make up a percentage of the wealth. And a lot of wealth in baby boomers tied up to oil industry and airline industry. And that's where you're seeing the government getting involved because it's not just saving the companies, you're saving people's money. And then you have a trickle effect from there, but oil is not going anywhere. And that's for sure. I think that also just shows you how connected the entire system is. Right. Like you've got baby boomers or a lot of older elderly people that have pensions right now. And it's just, you know, half those pensions are being wiped out oil as an economic indicator. Cause that's what it is at the end of the day. It is an economic logistics because logistics 
is yeah. what makes the world go move. Exactly. So I've identified from my side kind of like two extremes on this energy spectrum that we'll talk about, because this is really the purpose of this episode. We're really focusing on the whole renewable energy aspect, what the future yeah. of energy is going to focus on. We have to, we, we have to, like, we're, so since the, since our, the name of our, our brand is New Gen Mindset, we have to understand that as millennials, our future, which is 30 years out, 40 years out, 50 years out, 60 years out, there's a huge shift occurring we're not going to be dependent from a consumer's perspective in terms of the cars you're going to be driving 20 years from now, in terms of a lot of the things that are going to be consuming energy, we won't be dependent on oil. We're going to be heavily dependent on renewable energy. Therefore, as young people, as millennials, if you're going to play the long game and you're going to start creating your wealth and you want your wealth to be sustained, you have to start transitioning your money over. You can't play the long game on oil. If oil will eventually peak, even though, so right now what we're seeing is that the population continues to increase. So given, as the population continues to grow, oil will continue to have somewhat a bit of an increase annually over the next couple of decades. They estimate that the peak oil demand reaches around 2030. But that was taken into a case before this whole crisis just happened. This could just push the economy to transition over faster into renewable incentives governments are starting to give out incentives governments want to why because as millennials there's all kinds of new trends occurring you have increased demand for renewable especially on a millennial level and to be healthier for the planet yeah there's costs are coming down for renewable energy and basically on par with everything else that was one of the biggest things before was the fact that renewable energy was expensive so it's coming down and now that if it's on par you can consume it at the same level you have government incentives, you have battery storage, which was also another uh, sophisticated and difficult aspect of it was that battery storage was very complicated and expensive, but because of the drastic, so basically supply demand, the more I cannot, the more you produce, the more you fuel it, the more, and China was a huge help for this, by the way, because of how badly they needed to transition over with their population, with their pollution problems. Well, China, the spending they put into transitioning over into renewables and cleaner output was huge. And that has a huge impact on the overall global economy, especially for the renewable sector. So battery storage, because as much as we have unlimited sun every all day long, well, I mean, for percentage, for percentage of the day. If you're, if you're down in Florida, you get that all the time. But if you you're know? up here, you don't so, really get it. So if you get it for a percentage of the day, or at least if you're far up north where sun is out for nearly the entire day for a couple of months, okay, no problem. But if I can't store it efficiently and economically, I can't then tap into that stored energy. So being able to store your energy properly at, at an economical place is very important for the industry to grow. And we're there. We're, we're at the inflection point right now. Exactly. And to your point, like what I was going to say is that in this space, the sort of the energy sector, we'll call it, because that's what it is. I find there's two extremes, right? You've got the people that are just like pro green, you know, environment first, um, batteries and EVs. And, you know, we'll call it a Tesla cult, right? Because those are the investors that are driving that, that stock up. But the Tesla believers of the world, those guys are going to go to that. I'm with that. <laughs> then there's also the other extreme, which is like, no, oil is the end all be all, right? Yeah. And I, I personally, and I think you, you're probably on the same space as that. I'm more in the middle right now. And the reason why I'm more in the middle is because oil has been around for decades. 
centuries for that matter. It's been around since, you know, the Roman empires, they had some form of oil. It didn't get, and then, and then they got, you know, refinery stuff later in like the, the, uh, the, the 19th century, late 18th century. That's when it kind of started to take off. They realized that there was money to be made. Um, but what's happening now with renewable energy is like you had said, there's a lot of innovation coming through. There's more Tesla's now on the road than I think I've ever seen. And that should be an indication. And most of these car manufacturers are adding electric vehicles to their product portfolio. They have to. Yes. They have to. If they don't, if they don't, if they don't follow the 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 trend, the change in trends based on consumer behavior, these old school manufacturing car companies are going to vanish. Exactly. And and we're seeing it slowly get into a transition. Now, the guys, the, the ones who are on the other extreme of oil being the end all be all right now are suffering like, I think worse than 08. Like, let's be honest. Russia, I think their oil consumption, their energy sector makes up about 30 to 40% of their GDP. Canada is 15% of their GDP. That's a lot. Look what's happening in Alberta. It's, it's you know, that part of the country was reliant on one sector and it's completely collapsed. And Alberta wanted to be like kind of separatist province also kind of True. like a bag. They were saying, Oh, you know, we're the mightier state. Well, you're not, the, you're no longer the mightier state after this. That's a right. fact. Right. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's so, and then obviously the U S I think it's like 20, 20 to 15% also. Of they the make, GDP. It, United States used to be externally dependent on energy to fuel their economy, mm. but they've become to the point where through fracking, they've been able to now, if they wanted to completely self-sustainable through their own dependency in their own oil market. Yeah. It's still a global, but it's still a global place. It, it, exactly. And I think it's, you know, that again, these shifts are, are this pandemic is forcing shifts on everyone right now. Uh-huh. Right. Like shifts that are going to obviously change the landscape for the future. Now, the reason why I don't think, and to your point, you said maybe in a century oil will be gone. I still think there will be a little bit more oil around back then. Maybe not as much as now, but definitely nowhere near as much. This commodity is the most fundamentally important commodity in terms of you know day trading, in terms of investing, in terms of macroeconomics. And it what we saw on Monday just shows that any sector on the planet is vulnerable to change. It's, 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 so when I saw that happening, it solidified in my mind, the transition from an industrial economy to a technological economy. Yeah. And in order for you to see that transition occur, in order for it to be fueled, you need to tap into renewable because renewable is only a part of it. Mm -hmm. It fuels it. You, who are the most adaptable companies in this whole outcome, this whole outlook of the virus? Tech companies, the most adaptable ones, people with cloud infrastructures, people where people can work at home, people that, companies that are adaptable, that can work from anywhere, that don't require a massive labor force all tied into one place, they're the most adaptable. The, the part of the economy that's being hit the hardest is the manufacturing, it's the industrial, it's agricultural it's all any those sectors anything that has a very high capital expenditure basically high capital expenditure it's industrial it's old school and yeah. it's it's heavy labor force yeah yeah and it's 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 just exposing all the weaknesses now here's the other thing that i think most people are like well why don't they just shut down the oil refineries 
Do you know how much more expensive it is to shut down the oil refineries versus just yeah. blowing here, here, take my oil, you know? So it, it's, it's like, this has never happened. There's so many lessons that are taken away from it. And again, I think what we're going to see in the future now is there's going to be, it, this is the beginning of the EV boom that a lot of, so we'll call them speculators because that's what they were. And I've, worked with a lot of sort of mining companies as well, renewable, you know, especially the exploration companies that are providing the battery material for these electric. <laughs> these are all speculators, but now it's slowly transitioning into this so, shift that's going to accelerate it, sort of that growth right now. Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I followed is commodities. Well, not one of the biggest, I would say it's a fraction of my portfolio, but it's still like at least five to 10% of what I would always look at. And, um, I met, I would meet here in Montreal, a lot of uh, mining companies through MI3. Um, some of the commodities that I would particularly, well, I first started off with cobalt and lithium. They both had their, their spike. I took my, I was in early. I made my money on that sector. And then you realize there's so many junior mining companies there's so many producers. Okay. That market's fine. The, the, the market will always have enough lithium. Cobalt is the complicated one. Cobalt, most of its cobalt comes from the Congo. The Congo has all kinds of political problems and child uh, labor issues, but cobalt is so important in EV manufacturing and batteries that it's still important. So the issue when it comes to cobalt is, can we now find a way to do recycling? Therefore, we can recycle old batteries, old technological de devices that have all these materials in it that we can then just re take them back out and remake new devices rather than have to always mine. If we can do that, we can close loop our system when it comes to commodities, which is healthier for the entire system. There's also copper, there's also graphite, and there's nickel. Those are some of the important ones for the EV and technological. Just to say for, uh, oh, and helium too, because people don't even realize a lot of like infrastructure companies like um, for their technology, uh, for their technology and their storage, so uh, Microsoft and Amazon, a lot of the databases where they want to keep all their big machines cool, they, they fill the rooms up with, um, with helium and helium keeps the energy costs down. So it's more efficient. So helium is huge, but helium demand is higher than the current market can fuel. So that's why there's a, there's a couple speculators that are betting on the helium. Same thing with copper. Copper right now, the market's on par. But as we continue to build on technology and electrify our global economy, eventually you're going to see that the man is going to weigh, is going to completely outweigh the current supply. And there's no junior mining companies that are able to produce and mine at the current levels in terms of the price of copper. Yeah, well, especially given the collapse in most of the prices, right? Exactly. So because of that, so one of my favorite, so one of the companies, one of the companies I'm a shareholder of is called um, Copper Bank Resources. Got it. This guy named Gianni. He's a, if you just search up Gianni uh, Copper Bank Resources, you'll find him on Bloomberg, BNN, uh, CNBC. He's written a book. He's, he's taken the car Tesla and he rolled all over the uh, United States, even did it in Europe. But basically, this guy, he's, he's really, really smart. He's a very good speaker and he makes the case. He shows it to you. He goes, if the demand right now can only supply the current, the supply can only, uh, the supply can, Sorry, what was I sorry to say? The current demand is sufficient with the current supply. But as we become more electrified, that demand is going to grow. And the market cannot fuel that. Therefore, because there's, price... there's not enough. Exactly. Right? So artificial so then instinctively, prices have to get go up. If prices don't go up, all these junior companies with all these assets, they can't go and produce and 
feed the market with more. So the market has to pop the price. It's the only way for the market to be able to have more copper. So prices have to go up. That's why I also like copper was for that one. It's there's a, there's a value gap missing in terms of supply and demand, especially with the future outlook of the economy. Right. So copper was money. Copper and helium were two. I did lithium. I did cobalt. I got my money out. Lithium was an interesting one too, because I think back in, I think it was in 2015 or 2016. um, It started in 2016. Yeah. There was a, um, all these lithium companies were taking off and I had actually bought, I had actually bought into one, Namaska Lithium. They're based in Quebec. I made money on them. I bought them at 70 and it went to 210, I think for me. Yeah. The top, the top was about 210. I got in on that one as well. And you know, I, I, I sold half, but then I kept half and I ended up selling that at a loss, unfortunately, because they had found a reserve, I think in South America where there was Argentina, I think it was where they found like multiple amounts of lithium and that completely covered the lithium market that we had never seen. Yeah, so it's copper commodities is a complicated in the complicated sector to invest in. Yes, not just because of the fact that well, some mining companies can take up to years before they're up and running and making money. So well, again, cash it's, burn is heavy. It, it, it's capital intensive, right? Exactly, it's very and capital it's, intensive. And you 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 cannot you cannot play. You, it's hard to play the short term on a commodity sector unless you're going to play purely the price of the commodity. If you're going to play the trend in terms of consumer uh, consumer behavior and consumer uh, consumption for those commodities, you need time, especially if you're gonna play a junior company, because it could take five to 10 years before you see them up and running, but you can 10X, you can 20X on these stocks, even 1,000X. Yeah. Because you could buy them at a uh, 20 cents. Well, that's and, and that's and that's where they usually start trading. They're usually in the ranges of two, two cents to maybe 50 cents at yeah. most exactly. before, before were, any kind see, of yeah. traction takes off. You could see them in usually roughly around uh, 10 to 50 million. And then it goes up to 100. And then you tend to see because what happens in this sector is you see a lot of the bigger guys with the capital, with the operation running, they'll come in. They don't want to spend money and risk their money. So what they'll do is they'll partner up a bit with the little guy, a little junior, he'll put in, he'll risk most of it. If he lands on something significant, they'll come in and they'll buy you at a premium. They'll buy you out at a quarter of a million dollars, a quarter of a billion and a half a billion at a billion dollars. And that's how that, I think that's how that industry works. Right. And exactly. So, nobody, nobody, nobody talks about it. Like it's glitzy glamor, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not an Apple or a Facebook tech company where everyone's like drooling at the next iPhone. And, this and is in the dirt, between, this, this is a great, you know, um, get your hands dirty type of industry, right? Or sector, we'll call it, because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. You have to have the right team. You have to have the right resources, the locations you might have. Um, I I just want our listeners to understand too that this space is divided into two types of companies. You have exploration companies, which are only costs, like like their balance sheets, there's no revenue coming in. They're just waiting to hit, like, for example, gold even. They'll get the commodity, and as soon as they get a massive volume of commodity, a producer, which is sort of the next step of that, is going to come in and acquire them, right? Yeah. So You, you could be both. You could be both. You can even do a royalty system. Exactly. And the royalty system is probably the most uh, investment efficient. Like if exactly. You're looking, if you're looking for a quick return on your investment, look at the royalty companies. But if you're investing in an exploration company, if you're investing right. in a production company, that stuff takes a lot of time. Me personally, I just don't want to invest in that. But yeah. I think it's important to sort of just understand too, okay, yeah, we're talking about lithium too. We're talking about uh, you know cobalt. 
it's graphite, back, nickel, gra- copper. Exactly. It's it's linked back to oil, hmm. right? Because oil is it's an infrastructure. All these commodities are an infrastructure to our economy, right? And we don't even realize it. That's what's crazy. If 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 our economy runs on machines that are dependent on oil for logistics to the economy to move, like airplanes, like boats, well, like trucking. Ca- uh, trucks and trucking. trucking okay, trucking doesn't. So, we'll talk about that in exactly. a second. So and even, so all those things because you need those because we need those things and they're dependent on oil. Because remember, the technology for these things don't just change tomorrow. You come up with a new type of plane battery today, no problem. But then you have to go, okay, spend a, a billion dollars buying a new float of a, a brand new float of airplanes that are all EV. You're asking a lot to do that. It takes time to transition. I don't know, the if, float. That, I don't, I don't know if that's even possible right now. EV. No, right now, absolutely not. It has to. So the biggest places where oil, where it's capital intensive, you're going to see a slow transition out of it. You, it'll eventually be, might be at the point where Half the 10 years down the line, half their uh, plane float is EV. The other half is still oil-based. It'll never be a complete swip, a switch over the next day. It just can't happen. It's too capital intensive. It, it, exactly. And like, it, it's, again, this, this just shows you how yeah. interconnected the world is. Yeah. I, I look at the resources and renewable energy space as sort of the foundation of everything that we have gotten to this place. Yeah. It's right? the infrastructure play. So, so we, we had just talked about transportation. I think trucking, by the way, if you're going to look at a space as an industry that is probably the most important to any type of supply chain, it is trucking and transportation. Of course. It doesn't, it doesn't get a lot of love because- and That's why Amazon is killing it. Exactly. But they understand what you know, a, a global supply chain is. But if you want to look at a country's leading indicator as to how well the economy is, kind of like the gears at this point of the economy, look at trucking. Because trucking is, is all transport and it's, it ties back to resources, right? You need oil to run the machine. They need fuel. They need all kinds of metal to be put into the, in, in, into the things. Like I know we're getting very, very specific here, but it just shows you the truck is made of materials. Those materials had to have come from somewhere, right? And those, the places that they came from were obviously from the ground somewhere. It wasn't just like, hey, God, or somebody just, poof, here's a truck for you. No, like it, it's, it's all linked back to this, you know, the, the, you know exploration, and produ- exploration companies and producing, produce, production companies that have spent millions, if not billions of dollars, just getting the material out of the ground, right? Yeah. To, to assess, so just like a quick little summary of all this, to assess which commodities to invest in and which to divest. Both mining companies, investors, funds, everything, they need to follow the shifting consumer demand, the global demographic and economic shift, as well as the effects of environmental change. All these things, and you have to remember something, guys. Oil is a commodity. So is copper, so is lithium, so is cobalt, so is graphite, so is nickel. If oil fuels the old infrastructure economy that is the past of baby boomers and millennials we're entering an age of technological development of a brand new economy more tech based the commodities that are going to fuel that change are the ones we said there's going to there's others as well but those are some important ones you need to follow the trends if you're going to go long you can't go long on oil the way you're going to go long on these commodities oil you're not going to start you're not going to you're not going to put ten thousand dollars now and then 50 years from now you're going to see your portfolio worth a shit ton of money Oil doesn't have a significant growth. It'll grow, but it's more of a flat sector. 
Yeah, and it's, it's still it's not, stuff like this takes time. Like it's not, it's not. It I mean, if you're a trader, time, like you're more into trading stuff. So yeah. from the trading perspective, oil is is volatile as fuck. Well, you're 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 you're, yeah. you're you're a speculator, by the way. Just so people understand, when 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 futures contracts are being traded, right? They're always a month ahead, right? So the 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 June contract right now is trading in May. That expires on May nineteenth or May 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 twentieth, one of those days. And what happens is financial institutions, traders, uh, investment banks, hedge funds, whatever, these guys are speculating, right? But then you also have the other guys on the other side, which are the actual oil producers in the space. They also need to lock in these future contracts so they don't, their margins don't get destroyed, mm-hmm. right? So that's why it's, when, when you're buying these contracts, you're really speculating into the future. It's not necessarily- Can you, can you, can you do all these things with, because I'm, I'm not, I don't, I haven't really been looking at that stuff. Can you do all these things with like copper, lithium and all that stuff as well? Or does it, it's not as, a, it's not as liquid or it's not as- It's, a, it's, it's harder to get access to that as, okay. a re, as a retail trader. Like you're better okay. off buying a company that you think has really or the fundamentals ETF. or like, some- yeah. So guys, for, for most people who are going to be listening to it, if you're not someone who's very observant, doesn't know how to specifically touch or analyze the sectors or the companies or whatever the case may be, because the way you're going to analyze a tech company is not the same way you're going to analyze a mining company. It's two completely different fundamental analysis. But if you're going to touch something and you're not sure how to touch it, but you believe in the trend that's changing, focus on an ETF. At least ETF, you get a global outlook of that space. If you start touching specific names, you're putting yourself more likely at risk. Whereas an ETF, it's balanced and you're more likely to see a return. It may average out to a small return. Maybe you might get a thousand extra if you touch a specific name, but that's a bigger if, if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So, and just to touch base on sort of the risk aspect that you talked about, it's like, Hey, like if you're going to buy a company like, you know, Agnico Eagle, it's a gold producer, for example, just directly. You're, you're, what you mean by risk is you're exposing yourself to the systemic and non-systemic risks of that particular company. That we'd be, we yeah. don't necessarily have control over that. Um, I think- The cash burn, how good is their, like, do they have enough underground volume of gold that is yeah. actually sellable? Um, are they gonna run out of gold? Uh, are they gonna run out of capital? Like there's so many factors and then you have to wait five years, 10 years. Do you need your money right now? Can you wait 10 years? You know, there's so many little variables. That, and that's why I think for most people, once they get to a certain level in their portfolio, they can start speculating with mining stocks or resources stocks, put like one or 2% uh, of their portfolio into that space. I just thought of something else. We had Fred Pye on recently. Yeah, exactly. Talking about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin is kind of experiencing a little bit of a shift right now uh, with the Bitcoin halving event coming up. Um, so Fred Fred talks about that in, in, in the second episode. Um, but it's interesting too, because now you're going into various asset classes that, again, don't get a lot of love that most most people tend to see, tend to want to get. People want to buy something. They want to see a return on it immediately. One to two years, three years. They don't really have that long-term time horizon. Mm. I can understand why, because of what we're talking about, the whole capital intensive structure of the space, right? Um, so one of the other things that kind of caught my attention this week, and I'm happy to share it with you. I'm happy to share it with everyone else was, um, where are they going to store all this oil? <laughs> that's well, that's the real question. There's the tankers on the water that are filled with the... Right. 
I think you know where I'm going with this, but I was looking at a stock. Um, it's called Nordic American Tankers, NAT on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, it was trading on f- Friday at 5.59. I saw it close after hours, it shot up to 6.20. And I was like, why didn't I buy? And this is classic, you know, trader investor mindset. It's like, crap, I was staring at the stock for like 20 minutes. I'm like, do I buy this right now? Probably should have got in. A little speculative bet on that front. But what I realized was like, holy crap, like this is a company that has all the major oil producers in the world as clients. So the Exxon's, the BP's, you know, mobile, marathon, et cetera. Like these are huge oil producers who will probably survive this because I think they have pretty relative balance sheets. They'll take a hit or they'll end up gobbling a lot of other small oil producers for that matter. Um, but what I realized was like, holy crap, like if they're going to have those big guys as clients, they're going to have a tremendous amount of revenue. And the, the company Nordic, uh, American tankers can actually charge a premium now because the demand for storage is so high. So it's an interesting play. Um, for, I, I'm going to be looking at the stock on Monday. I'm probably going to put a position in on this because I think I'm in the, in the short term, this is really nice. Again, investing versus trading and speculating. I'm kind of like a risk taker. I do your research before you do this, but just put this on your radar. But it brings up the question. It's like, how, where else could we store this stuff? I don't even know. Like this is, this is not something we really thought of before. Mm -hmm. It's it's never happened. (laughs) It's never happened. So this is, this is a moment in history. The COVID that brings, that brings the economy to its knees, halts the global economy, which is supposed to be at its greatest moment in history. And then followed by a collapse in the oil sector, collapse in the airline industry, collapse in tourism, collapse in small businesses, collapse in um, collapse in the restaurant industry. You just see collapsing everywhere. And again, collapsing in manufacturing, collapsing in the industrial sector, collapsing in agricultural, all the old school stuff. And where are we storing oil? Hell, I know. I don't yeah. even know. What, to what extent is it? I feel like the government has to play a role in this. Or They, they, they have to. It, or it, a, they have to. I don't well, know. But how? I don't even know. Well, here, here, here's why. And, um, you know, again, we, we talked about it earlier on this episode, but um, oil makes up, uh, oil and energy make up 15% of Canada's GDP. So here, just so on that, okay. So as of last year, Statistics show that the global GDP is estimated to be around $86 trillion. Oil itself makes up about 3.8% of that total GDP. That's a lot. Which means that oil, that's, not, that's of last year. Price of barrel last year was not $100, right? Last year was- uh, uh, No, we were, we, were, we were hovering around 52 bucks. Yeah. So this, is, so this is based on 2019. So the global economy of 3.8%, which makes it roughly around $3.268 trillion. That's the value of the oil industry in terms of GDP. So it has a huge importance on the global economy because 4%, 3.8% of a global economy is a shit ton of money. Yeah. It's well, I mean, look, and right now it makes the economy go round. <laughs> I mean, look, look at the debt that's being poured in the U S right now. I mean, these are trillions of dollars of money just being stimulated to the economy because this is unfortunately it's a reactionary response. Um, in a way, I think capitalism will change forever. I don't think capitalism is dead. Um, no, but I, I don't but believe I think, it's dead. But again, going back to Canada as a, as, as a country, I mean, 15% of our GDP is oil. That means that they're, first of all, the unemployment numbers are going to pretty much change the way I think we view the world. And these are depression numbers almost. 
I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of it, the oil industry saw about a 52% unemployment, which would average down to the national gross, gross unemployment rate of about 17 to 20%. Um, and, you know, we have a government too that pretty much bought the pipelines, right? I think they invested about $12 billion or something. I don't know what the exact number is, so don't quote me on that. But I know that they, had, they ended up buying the pipeline because they realized that this was an, an, an essential need for the country. And this is, a, this is a dark time for the sector. This is a dark time for, for that particular um, area of our country. I mean, Alberta especially. Um, I don't know if you've heard too, but a lot of these oil companies, HQs or headquarters are in Calgary. And the tallest building there, it's a 37 floor foot building. Every single office space is vacant. Wow. Every single office space in that building is vacant. So another thing, and I know we're going a little bit off topic, but just to give you an idea how it's all connected right now is- Everything is connected, so. Oil collapsed, okay? Demand is gone. That's going to take multiple months to kind of get back. Jobs are everybody because the demand is gone because a lot of people hoarded. A lot of governments hoarded oil. A lot of companies. Yeah. A lot of there's a lot of hoarding going on because there's a lot of hoarding. There's nobody there to buy, and the companies can't shut down. So companies can't shut down. They're still producing, but then there's oil coming out that can't go anywhere. Yeah. So it's it's a full freeze on the space. So it lit, and, and then it goes to like you know the production, the the producers, the explorers too. They have an opportunity here. But when you have an office building that's completely empty and that office building was mainly energy companies, what's going to happen to real estate? Like these are questions that I think everybody should be asking right now. And these are serious questions. I don't want to scare people, but this is just how the, the economic machine works. One industry collapses, and the other one kind of falls. And then it's a, it's, it's like a, a ripple. It's a ripple effect. Exactly. And who knows? Like, are banks going to be okay? Are Canadian banks going to be okay? I, 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 I don't know. You know, I mean, not... I would, I would bet that the banks would survive. Well, they have a charter. They have a charter, help, right? Exactly. The government will bail them out. No, no matter what. They have to like, charter. especially in Canada, Canada is not like the United States where it's, there's privatized banking system and it's chaotic, their banking system over there. But here you have major names and they're all tied into the government. The entire economy kind of runs through the banking system. You can't really, if they vanish, well, what, I don't even, I wouldn't, I don't even know what to think would happen if they were to vanish. I feel like they, yeah, uh, I can't even picture that. I don't think they'll vanish, but I think there's, they get hurt. They right. Get hurt. There, there, there's going to be significant changes to the system. Yeah. Um, I, efficiency. Honestly, I think that what this is going to do is one, it's going to change the fact that they're like the pushes I see happening are really in that we need to become more efficient as an economy. Our government needs to improve its financial governance to understand how to better allocate capital. The banking system has to relax, not its interests. The interest will stay low because you can't start increasing interest and everything. Now you're going to start collapsing the tires. You, you know what I mean? It's, it's a slow process that yeah. is going to take, I think, more than 18 months to, to it, kind of... Oh. This process. is going to be a process. So then you also, the fact that you can't just start going, giving out debt again, like you would before, because the whole fear we're having with the real estate sector is the fact that there is so much leveraged debt with no cash flow to cover the debt mm -hmm. that it can collapse. So people that are over leveraged, like we speak about with companies, when you're way over leveraged and all of a sudden you have 
problems with cash flow or paying off debts, and it trickles down into the fundamentals of the business, as, a, as an individual person in the economy, if you're too over leveraged and then your business is fucked because of what's happening and you can't make money, your entire liability part of your balance sheet is, is starting to ring and, you're, and it's knocking at the door, but you can't do shit. Because yeah, you the got no cash flow coming in. <laughs> you have nothing. There's, so the banking system no has, has to become better at allocating debt to people. Because pe the, the one thing we've realized is most people suck with debt to begin with. But yet, we give it away. The banking system gives it well, away. Well, because it's, 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 it's revenue and fees, right? That's, that's how the system, unfortunately, is designed. And, you know, one of the most critical things... The, the big debate, and I know we're, we're, we're going off topic here, but it's all, again, it's all linked. Yeah. Um, you got to know what good and bad debt are, right? There's, and there's how, no, to properly and how, to, how to properly leverage that. You know, when people, and this a personal finance thing, people take their credit card and they spend it like as if they have unlimited cash flow. And the next thing you know, they're like, I can't even pay it off, 22% interest. Are, it's yeah. the same thing with a business, yeah. right? It's the exact same thing. The, the banks will realize too, especially with energy, that, okay, they have a lot of assets. We can take a lot of collateral, right? Are they in the best interest of the company? See, like, Again, I don't know. I'm just asking a question, right? These are the I questions think, that so I you, think most people should, need to be having. You know, when you go to the bank and the bank asks you different types of questions to determine whether or not to give you the loan, the likelihood yes. of the loan. I yes. think the bank should implement the question now that goes, do you work, in, do you work from home? Do you work in an industrial company or do you work for a tech company? How likely are you to be able to sustain your cash flow? Do you work in a restaurant? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That becomes a, a, a dependency on cash flow. He's more likely to secure, to have a secure cash flow over somebody that works for some sort of manufacturing company. It's, Why? It's, because as if you just saw now, right? The people in the old system and all these sectors, they're the ones getting destroyed and they have yeah. no capital coming in, but everybody else is still working and making their money. So as a bank, if I'm going to minimize my risk and I'm going to still be able to hand out debt, if I'm going to give you a million dollar mortgage, what do you work for? Do you work for an auto manufacturer or do you work for Apple? Well, that, that's more of housing, right? I got the idea. Like no, 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 but I'm just, I'm just throwing in terms of loaning debt, you know? Right. But you're, you're, yeah. But you're talking about more, that's, that's more for a house. But I, I get what you're yeah. saying. It's more for like a, a, a business type of loan, not necessarily a mortgage. But um, even if, even if, cause look, even if there's a lot, like, look, at, having worked in the restaurant industry and seeing a lot of people in the restaurant, people in the restaurant industry have a hard time getting the loans because the fact well, that. Yeah. They, they have they're, they're thin margin business. It, well, no, no, no not, I'm not talking about a business. I'm talking about from a individual's perspective, mm. working for in the restaurant industry. Right. So people working in the restaurant industry, because the fact that cash flow is not sustainable, it's not always the same. It, 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 differ, it differs a lot. And there's a lot of failed businesses in the restaurant sector. Blank, banks don't like to give loans to these people because they're higher risk. Right. So you could dictate now also, because you're still following the same, same kind of predictable variable to assume that, well, what type of sector do you work for? What type of company do you work for? And we're going to scale it. Like when you go to school, banks are more likely to give uh, loans out to, uh, to uh, business students, to doctors, to accountants, to CFA students, all these things, more likely than somebody in human resources or somebody in marketing. Well, they, they, no they, they differ. They differ. Because I've got... Right. But I think it's also, I think student loans are kind of like, Personally, I've never taken out a student loan. I've always just paid it off for that exact reason because I find it traps you in that debt cycle. I, I, I did it just because I wanted capital. I like a line of credit on the side. 
Right, so, right, right, right. You, so you, student, you, you're, you're smart with that. You invested it. <laughs> so as a student, so as a student, you know, you're getting That's a lot of credit at a four. I got it at 4%. So I was yeah. paying, uh, I think it, all I would want me to pay was like $8 a month for, uh, I think, $10,000. Yeah. So the thing is, though, because I was an accounting student, university, they were happy to give me the money. But I'm pretty sure other, sec other fields of study are less likely to get money. And banks, for the safety of the banking system and the efficiency of how we go about giving money, they should evolve the way they analyze people's cash flow, which industries they work for, the sector. The, because it's, because right, if the banking system fails, it affects everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, and again, we're taking a very extreme example here. I don't think Canadian banks are going to fail. No. I just think that going into this this year, these next 18 months, there's going to be some problems that some hard times, yeah. some harder times that people are, or, you know, even the government is like, they're like, we don't even know what to do in this situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying like, they're, like the whole system is going to collapse, but again, it, it, it all ties back to like that one resource, which goes back to oil yeah. and our country. Like we're, we're in Canada too. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll end it with one little thing here. I think it's really important for people to understand that every country has a credit rating, right? And this credit rating determines the overall investability into a country, as well as providing sort of a safety for investments. So like countries like that are in South America, Venezuela, for example, I'm not trying to bash on anybody there, but they probably have like a triple, like a, like a triple B rating, maybe a C just because of the whole oil issue, right? That country was fully dependent on one commodity, oil. And what happened when Maduro and, you know, the politicians there said, you know, screw it. They had hyperinflation. They had, you know, massive protests. They had people, I think the unemployment rate there was like 40%, which is very dangerous too, right? So when you have an issue where Canada, maybe not in the same situation, has 15%. And there was an article recently on Bloomberg that said, hey, Canada might actually lose its triple A rating, which is the safest type of rating. That to me is extremely concerning because what this does is this devalues our, our dollar, which is going to happen, unfortunately, but it also creates a much deeper problem in the debt that we currently have that we need a service at some point. So yeah, who at the end of the day is going to foot the bill? And the governments are, if we're talking about people that are over leveraged, every goddamn government is, is fucking over leveraged. <laughs> See, even you, 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 get, you get frustrated just thinking about that. They're over because look, everything, <laughs> the, you see, the thing is this, as, as everybody's part of the economy, everything everybody does is some one way or another amplified. It might be slightly amplified. It might be significantly amplified, but one way or another, everything everybody does in the economy affects everything. What the government does affects the economy. What other countries do affects the economy. People, if you're going to be an investor, there's a reason why it's called new gen mindset, new generational mindset. You have to pay attention to politics, pay attention to commodities, pay attention to companies, pay attention to people, consumer trends, uh, shift in gener uh, how generations are shifting their behaviors. All these things impact everything. So the reason why we want to do oil and renewables because oil is of the old renewable is of the future. It's the new. Yeah. If you're going to play long and you're going to play a position to properly allocate your capital, I would go like for me, for my clients, if I'm going to say I feel comfortable and I feel good with you touching, putting your money towards renewable, I would feel safe. 
play renewable, go long a renewable. It's it, it, people want it. it. You don't have to oil. You don't have to do fracking. You don't have to dig into the earth anymore. It, it, it's part of the evolutionary process that we're doing as an economy. We're going. We're shifting more into an electri uh, an electrified economy. 100%. If we're gonna, if we're doing that, then renewable is just only is just another part of that aspect of the economy. Oil I, again. I think oil will be here to stick. It will be here to stay. It's going, no, anybody that says oil is dead, I'm sorry. Like it's, it's not. It's, guys, think, it's the most fundamental economic indicator on this planet, whether we guys, like it or not. It smells remember, like crap though. <laughs> remember this, remember this. Look, mo literally most of the cars you see on the road are still dependent on oil. Yeah. Airplanes are still dependent on oil. Trucks are still dependent on oil. Because our logistics system, which a lot of the supply chain is still dependent on oil, until that system can convert into renewable oil has is still solidified in its position 100 percent. those need to, i yeah. was just going to say like those are leading economic indicators transportation especially, is especially the for biggest the commodity yes especially for the commodity yeah the commodity usage will still exist until that trend changes until that changes you will not see oil vanish that change will have to completely change that means that trucks are completely electric airplanes are completely electric. cars are completely electric once you have those three because they make a huge aspect of uh, the consumption of oil then you could potentially say yes one day oil potentially could die but until that until then again we don't even you can't even really know when that'll happen it's too uh, capital intensive yeah. to, to bring every truck ev to make every airplane ev you're going to need a lot of expenditure over the next couple of years, a right. lot. And that, and that also requires people just willing to, you know, be, be more innovative on that front. I personally, like, I'm not an energy type of person. I just know, and this is exactly what you just said, as an investor, you got to know what's going on, but you don't have to be like in that particular position. But, you know, I, it's just, I don't see the transition to everyone driving a Tesla, for example, I love Elon Musk, by the way, but that whole transition, that's going to take multiple decades. Okay. Especially might, might not even the be, entire economy. Exactly. And it might not even be our lifetime, to be honest. It's the same thing with like, maybe like Bitcoin, for example. I, I know I keep going back to that, but I think the, the whole aspect of tokenized currency might not happen in our lifetime. Maybe it will. We'll be a hundred years old. <laughs> so, a quick thing. Uh, one of the um, so the sovereign wealth fund of uh, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. The guy who heads it. The guy who heads it. Okay. There was a conversation they were having on Bloomberg, and he was talking about the future of oil. He was going, "Yes, we are starting to allocate our capital elsewhere because for the sustainability of the wealth fund, we have to diversify. They need to adapt to new energies. You need to, or else it'll vanish." But he stated, he, "This is what he stated. He said oil." We still believe oil has a long play. Why? Because third world countries that don't have an electrified, an electrified uh, economy are still going to depend and rely on oil to, for their supply chain. So 30 years from now, no problem. North America could be completely converted over into, I'm just hypothetically speaking right now, probably not going to happen in 30 years, but let's say completely converted. But then you have all of Africa, you have all of Asia, you could or india you could see them still depending on oil because you have to convert an entire system 
to be able to use energy, renewable energy and EVs. And if you can't convert the system properly, then oil will still be the primary uh, commodity. Right. And that's just human. That's just the, the human behavior of, of, of adoption, we'll call it. Yeah. So anyway, I wish uh, I want more people to be passionate like Nick when he talks about oil and the frustration <laughs> he had over banks. That was, just shows you how much love he has for this type of stuff. It just makes, <laughs> as an investor, it just makes our job harder. We're trying to get rich. The objective is wealth. We want to become multi-millionaires, multi, multi, multi. But that this whole journey, everything that keeps happening because everybody else doesn't know what they're doing just makes our job harder. Because it's a barrier after barrier to keep breaking. Okay, well, you know what I'm saying. We just, we just that's why we got to find other opportunities. But it's part of the game. Exactly. Anyway, if you join this, that's what it is. <laughs> oh man, oh this is a good discussion, man. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with uh, yeah. pro- with a few more special guests we have lined up. Our pipeline's looking really good. Uh, but Matt, we are just- we are live also now on Apple Podcast. Yes. And we will soon be very soon on Google podcast. Our YouTube pages will be running eventually. I won't give a date for that. Uh, and we our don't website, have a date yet. I'll be honest. <laughs> and our website is revamped. You can listen to our podcast there, become a member, follow our forum, follow the community. Sign up for we our got, newsletter. Yeah. Newgenmindset.com and everything should be there. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Nick, this was awesome as always. Um, We'll be back in a week to talk about something interesting as well. Ciao, guys. Stay safe, everybody.